Hello and welcome to this omnibus edition of Happy Times and Places. This is me, Toby Haydock, doing a positive episode commentary on a story chosen by a friend of mine. I have to comment, make observations and see if I can guess my friend's favourite things about the story in question. Hello Toby. Uh, my name is James Goss and I write uh, things for Big Finish. I write target novels and, well, that's what I do. And uh, you've asked me to nominate a story and I'm nominating For to Doomsday because nobody else will because they're all wrong. Because For to Doomsday is For to Doomsday. And I hope you're about to enjoy For to Doomsday as much as it's given me pleasure over many, many years since I first saw it. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Toby Haydock here. I'm sitting on an ever-decreasing sofa. I really need a new sofa. This one is collapsing under my weight I mean I'm not I'm not making aspirations to my own girth although I could do with losing a few pounds as I record this I've uh, finished off uh, the the excess of uh, consumables left over from the Christmas period uh, however um, that is not going to diminish my enjoyment of this process although we are going to be watching for to doomsday as James Goss told you there, which I think is quite an odd fish, and I'm not sure what my opinion of it is. I I want to love it, because I think my, my impression of it is that it has a certain offbeat strangeness about it, but then I'm reminded of some of its um, perhaps less, shall we say, competent moments. But let's see, let's see. I'm not... Any, well, anyway, let's not... I've got four episodes to get through. I shall perhaps uh, reserve some of this comment for when we're talking along some of the scenes where people are wandering around a spaceship a lot or watching some dancing. I'm delighted that my companion for this is James Goss, uh, who is a delightful fellow. I would urge you to seek out his work, although I'm sure you have. If you if if your Doctor Who consumption has got to the point where you're 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 uh, s- uh, sort of scouring through the dregs. Uh, of, of what's left available that you haven't experienced which is why you're doing this uh, the wine of who is drawn and the mere lees is left this vault to brag of um, and the lees being the sediment at the bottom of the barrel is uh, is 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 is, is a, 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 a comedian watching um a not very well known <laughs> peter davison story but james goss is an illustrious guest I don't know him very well. We have socialised on occasion and he's helped me out with a couple of contacts and things on occasion. But I like him. I don't want to embarrass embarrass him. I like his energy. I like his sense of humour. It, it, I think of it as waspish and then you spend some time in his company. It's not. It's actually very charming. He's not catty, but he's amusing. and He's quick. Uh, and uh, I love his writing. Uh, I love... The sense of humour that uh, that that leaps. So I remember he did. Did he do a production notes or he, he stood in for a column in Doctor Who magazine one month? I think it was a production notes. I remember being terribly disappointed that it wasn't Russell T Davis doing it, and then went, "Oh my God, this guy, this guy's really funny. He can really write." Um, and then of course I realised that you know he he wrote lots of other things, um, and uh, I've had the pleasure of enjoying a lot of his work and a bit of his company. Um, so I'm thrilled that he's uh, doing the podcast and I'm sort of even more thrilled that he's doing Fort of Doomsday because yeah I'd have fun with James Goss watching K 
Caves of Androzani. But I somehow think I'll have m- more fun with James Goss watching Four to Doomsday. So um, with that in mind, I have my Brit box fired up. And I am going to press... I do have it on... Should I be watching the Blu-ray? No, well, too late now. This is easier for me. Um, So I am going to uh, press watch from the beginning on episode one of Four to Doomsday. Thank you for joining me. Let's go into space. And I'm going to press select in three, two, one. Um... So here we are. This is the first story that Peter Davison recorded, isn't it? This is his debut as Doctor Who because he'd been uh, given a few stories to bed in before recording Castrovalvo, which is, I think, about fourth, which is a kind of smart idea. Um, so his, his debut performance is sort of snuck under the radar. I remember being terribly excited at the title four to doomsday because i'm i was not a fan of um the single word christopher h bidmead um story titles i know a lot of people love them because they're because they're vague and intriguing uh but i wanted terror of the somethings attack of the somethings doomsday is a great word doomsday weapon of course was the title of not a doctor who story that was actually called colony in space but i had the book and it was the doomsday weapon which i love as a title i love the word doomsday oh and there's a modern doomsday doomsday is a good word this is an excellent opening shot and i love this piece of music that was on an album that i had um but that's a really nice you know they're sort of going for the big spaceship flying overhead that star wars does and it's not it's it's not quite the same but it's a reasonable approximation and the 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 uh, the, the the blue screen i'm assuming that's what it, yeah you can see slight bit of fringing but it's it's above average um i think that's an elegant opening i actually like this elegant pace um uh you know the tardis uh, landing uh uh, you know, we see that uh, we have the spaceship, we have the quiet, wherever it is that the TARDIS stands. This I find a bit odd, though. I remember this, where we start with totally redundant action just to give everybody somebody to do. So Adric tells Nissa to go somewhere. She doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't need to go anywhere because the other two people are in. So that's a bit of business that's wasted everybody's time. Um, uh, but, of course, it's a it's quite a crowded TARDIS. The design in this story is excellent. As is actually the lighting. Um, uh, you can see why sort of Andrew Cartmel, when he came in, decided to get rid of uh, sort of scenes where people chat in the TARDIS. But actually, I remember not m- minding them at the time because it was sort of it was it was life on the TARDIS. It was it was t- you know it was it was. It seemed to me an organic part of the show that you'd have the beginning in the TARDIS and you'd have the coda. Um, in the TARDIS, where um, and there was sometimes a bit of business or a joke or something that that uh, that sort of bookended the story, and that felt sort of kind of comfortable. But now we we you know we've got no time for that in the modern world, um, and I can understand that development. And I uh, there's not an awful lot that thrills me about these scenes, but I don't I I, I don't dislike them. Um, uh, I think this is nice. The, the the attempt to go 
um, okay, well, you know, we're not necessarily going to be able to, to breathe when we go outside. You can't do that with every single Doctor Who story. It's more likely that if you land in alien environments, you're always going to have problems as a, as a human or as a Time Lord or whatever, somebody with our sort of biological makeup, that, you know, the atmosphere, you, you know, every story would stop dead in its tracks if it was like, well, before we go outside, we've got to do all sorts of things and put on all sorts of gear. But the fact that the series will occasionally... Uh, go, oh, but sometimes we'll take that into account. Uh, Davison is working very hard here. He's walking around the set, stroking it, chef's kiss, uh, having fun, getting used to playing Doctor Who, um, and he's a he's a busy actor, which it, I've, I've said this before about Davison. Uh, he is he, very, I mean, he, he's still a very good television actor, but for television of this period where, uh, you know, you don't have the same kind of cutting where essentially you've got three cameras on a on a on a, on a three-walled set so when you see an actor go from one end of the set to another there's there's no sort of there's there's there's, there's you can't cheat much of it with with cameras and editing um so the actors have to keep it interesting and davison i think is an exemplar of that um the monopticans uh, grabbed by the monopticans is always funny i don't know why but uh, that this is a very good effect um i think they're really convincing and they're a nice thing you know you could, that could easily be done with just a security camera but the they're they're a bit of fun um they're a sort of setting point of the story you always want a sort of science fiction thing and the, the, the fringing on here is not bad at all uh, it's, it's imperceptible um so i think they're you know they're a very strong and they're a nice idea and i like this kind of he's taking his time yes he is Teague, and that's why you've brought me to what i say i actually don't mind it reminds me a bit of 60s who this in a way and in, in it's in it's sort of exploratory pacing now i wouldn't like it if all doctor who was like this and i probably wouldn't like it if doctor who was like this now but as an exercise in nostalgia um I, I, there will be an occasion where i quite fancy watching a, a story where people walk around a spaceship quite slowly um and i do like the gag of of um always missing Heathrow fatigue and I think that's quite quite fun I don't like the, the, the nice chap called Bert Russell is an attempt to joke that uh, in, in, yeah let's well let, yeah I'm, I've got to be positive I, I I do I do struggle with how they try to characterize Adric I, I know he's you know he's supposed to be a bit of a precocious teenager um, but that precociousness needs to come with a certain sort of lovability and i think i think they struggle with that um i was in love with nissa um interesting isn't it because they're both very beautiful women but i i had my heart was for Nissa because i was younger i guess um but i want yeah i wanted to marry nissa i love nissa and i like her outfit as well i like her thing um but obviously i i like the i've 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 since I had occasion to go for the stroppy, bossier ones of the Tegan mould. <laughs> so it's life's a journey. <laughs> I think the lighting here is excellent, and I think the set design by Tony Burrow is excellent. And Tony Burrow, oh, I failed to. I, I often get emails when they're doing making offs for the Blu-rays, going, "Where, where are these people?" And Tony Burrow is an Oscar-nominated. Uh, set designer he got an oscar nomination for the film richard the uh, third he's been emmy nominated he's won a bafta 
um, was was designing movies till 2007. So you think, well, he's going to be easy to find. Uh, he's interviewed in the Doctor Who 20th anniversary Radio Time special as well, and there's a picture. So you sort of go, oh, well, he's, I know that, that that's now 30 years old, but I think of it as quite new because I remember when it was new. So you think, oh, these are all people that are about. Uh, and we never got hold of, of Tony, uh, who would have been a great contributor to the, uh, the recently filmed Two Doctors documentary, for example. Um, uh, and so you go, well, maybe he just doesn't, and I knew Richard Bigner had written and he'd not heard back. So you think, well, maybe he just doesn't want to be involved. So God bless Tariq Latif, who is Tariq Latif, who is a, 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 somebody I've engaged in many conversations with on Twitter, one of those lovely cyber spaceship, uh, cyber spaceship, cyberspace back and forth, who just mentioned that 20 years ago he got a lift with Tony Burrow. And I just went, I went, ah, oh, wish we could find him. And he went, oh, I'm still in touch with his son. And so exclusive, everybody, uh, Tony Burrow, who has not contributed to any of the DVD and Blu-rays, uh, uh, just spent last week uh, two hours on the phone with me. So as an accompaniment to this commentary on happy times and places, we're going to have uh, not a commentary so much as we're going to have a little extra that is not available anywhere else, uh, which is uh, an interview with Tony Burrow. Um, probably just a short, uh, you know, short gallop through his who's for non-patrons. Uh, my Patreon people uh, get stuff that is, that, well, they get it quicker, which means they get it fuller because then I don't have to worry about editing it and I can just slap the whole thing. Uh, so there are advantages and disadvantages, I guess. Um, but I'm so delighted to have discovered uh, Tony because I, I kind of knew I'd, I'd worked at his brother's an actor called John Darrow and I worked with John years and years ago. He said, oh, my, yeah, my brother designed Doctor Who. And uh, so it's nice to find out uh, how John was as well. Um, uh, John, a very colourful, fruity Shakespearean actor, uh, perhaps too big for TV, but he'd have he'd, be, he'd have been good in a Doctor Who. He'd have given a lot of colour to a. Uh, he'd have been an excellent Richard Mace or something like that. Um, but I've digressed. Apologies. I I'm, I, I don't apologise because I f I feel there the may need to be some digression. Well, maybe not. Maybe this is more interesting than I'm giving it credit for because I think look at that lighting. I'm assuming it's Don Babbage doing the lighting. It's glorious. I think I, 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 I think it's really atmospheric. I think it conjures spaceship. I think it conjures technology, but it also makes for great pictures. It's it's really well done, and it complements Tony Burr's excellent, sturdy, double-level sets. Uh, and I love the way you see the light on the other side of that sliding door. Nice sliding door as well with an accompanying sound. So I think that the, the, the lighting, the sound, and the design are all working wonders here. Um... And I think John John Black's direction is elegant. He did uh, Keeper of Traken as well. Um, that's not to say it's it's, it's perfect, um, but uh, but I think it suits. Look at the light coming through the ceiling and coming from the sides, coming through the grills. Yeah, they're working really hard. I think because they realised that this is oh, and then the door slide. We don't see that door slide, but we see it slide because we see the light. Um, so I think you know, and I think because it is it is a you know it's setting up a mystery it's not telling us anything yet uh, or it's telling us little snippets and it is it's i think if it reminds me of anything it reminds me of of 60s doctor who um i think i've i've, I've said that because it, it i i don't think doctor who was ever quite as odd again as it was after the hartnell era actually uh, and yes there are stories that are surreal 
but surreal is a stronger word than odd. There are stories that are avant-garde, uh, which again I, I think is, a, is is slightly more robust in its strangeness than odd. I think this story is odd, and I think that is 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 one of the things in its favour. Um, how can things have penetrated uh, us is one for the fans of cheap jokes uh, at the expense of dialogue that is perfectly reasonable in context. But I've thrown it out there just uh, just because I like to please everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you can add your own punchline to that. Um, uh, but... But I, I, you know, I remember as a kid because this is a new story to me. You know, this is I'm, 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 I'm well remembering Doctor Who now, and I remember as a kid, aching for, you know, a story about Doomsday. Doomsday conjures images of. Well, I remember the, being a bit disappointed with the book of the Doomsday Weapon as well because it promised all sorts of alien creatures and claws and things on the cover, and it was it was colonists squabbling with miners. Uh, and I was, I was like, oh, and it's not even called the Doomsday Weapon because you read in the bits. It's based on a story called Colony in Space. So I remember being a bit disappointed by that. Ah, uh, I am Monarch. Uh, um, and I am Monarch. You look as if you might be. I'm, I'm, I, some of the jokes in this, I have to say, I don't get. Oh, um, and Enlightenment and Persuasion. I don't think we ever quite get decent, decent close-ups of uh, Enlightenment and Persuasion's masks. Um, uh Stratford Johns exudes uh, a, a laissez-faire authority, a natural authority. He's he's not acting big, he's not acting king, but he has enough presence that he has a quiet, just that that slight lean forward that he's doing. But he's not he's not spitting out his dialogue. He's Oh, he's doing he's doing a bit of enjoying it there, but he's he's generally he's sort of got he's got that sort of casual confidence about him. Uh and and he and he does all the sort of nonsense well. Um And and Nathan Turner liked his uh, his Z cars actors and I remember you know that was a thing whenever there was a Z cars person in a doc two somebody go oh yes it's so and so from Z cars and they all ended up doing it in the end most of them no Jeremy Kemp or Joseph Brady but we had Stratford Johns Brian Blessed Frank Windsor Jimmy Ellis um and I remember sort of thinking oh well because everybody knows they are from Z cars I'm not that excited about them and then you go back and realize quite how important Z cars was and how Damn good those actors were. Stratford Johns and Frank Windsor are extraordinarily good in those early Z Cars episodes because they have a naturalness about them that is is quite stark for for television of that time when you compare it to what surrounds it. And he was a strong actor, Stratford Johns, and I think he 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 does this 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 really well. Um, uh, not to mention uh, Annie Lambert and Paul Shelley, who I'm sure that we'll talk about. But I'm reminded that I remember not only was it called Four to Doomsday, it was written by Terence Dudley. Now, I didn't know who Terence Dudley was. I, I wasn't, you know, on point enough to realise that he was the guy that had directed Megalos. That's interesting, isn't it? That he's, uh, he's, uh, we don't really think about Terence. You know, we know of Peter Grimwade as a writer and director and a very different beast at both. But Terence Dudley sort of brought in to direct Megalos, which nobody writes home about. And then they go, can you write some as well? And there's some beautifully kind of cross uh, exchanges between him and and, uh, and Eric Saywood. I, I, Dudley doesn't seem to have been anybody's favourite person. And yet he manages to carve out a career at the BBC for years. Um, uh, but But for me... Uh, 
because I'd got a shelf full of books by Terence Dix, the very fact that somebody was caught, and I had an uncle Terence, um, but because the, you know I was, I wasn't, you know, my, my reading wasn't amazing because I was what when this was on, I was uh, six or seven, but I could, but I saw Terence. Just the fact that it was written by someone called Terence to me evoked old who and of course everything that was on before i was cognizant or before my memory automatically had an allure and uh, and and a sheen of greatness because uh, it was before my time so therefore better i've always been a nostalgist no nostalgia is is things that you remember from the past i'm i'm worse than i'm a nostalgia for time before i before i existed <laughs> um this one of your dropping times although the the subtitles said drop it is it dropping or is it dropping the subtitle said dropping but it does sound like you're saying dropping uh i don't care um this is not heathrow airport um <laughs> uh, I, l I love the what stratford john's doing this is not heathrow airport he does as a sort of statement of fact even though he doesn't sort of know what heathrow airport is but uh, but then that laugh he does is is great that he's sort of He's sort of joining in, but he's also menacing. And it's a great mask. Is it Dorkin Niradzik who did the makeup? I'm guessing it was. She is also interviewed in that Radio Times 20th anniversary special, which is a great stop-off point. For me, it was where I... That and Doctor Who a celebration. In fact, I'm going to do a podcast about... Uh, an indefinable magic, I think, about the celebration and the 20th anniversary Radio Times special. Because I think... I think they are the, the things that made me cross the Rubicon from boy to fan <laughs> in just seven days I can make you a fan um, uh, yeah it is a really good mask um, uh, but I, I love the fact that yeah, Adric grasps the theory of relativity and Antigone is the best drawer in the whole world. I remember us, I remember my sister, I think, was watching this at the time and, and us go, would she, wow, she's, I mean, they're really good. Uh, I, I, I mean, I enjoyed art and I, I, I like that slight threat uh, that he gives because there's, there's not been an awful lot of menace apart from the fact that the aliens are green. But look at that. She's in a superb draftswoman, is Tegan. She's she's wasted on uh, 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 on uh, uh, getting lost in space. She should uh, she should be at the at art school. Um, yeah, and because of course those doors would have been quite clattery, uh, and you know smooth movement, bit of Dick Mills sound effect. Uh, and you get something special. And look, look how solid these sets are, uh, and the the double level and the robust. In a, you know, in a in a show that does have sort of weakness and clatteriness, uh, with control banks and scenery and stuff like that. I think this is great. Now this is interesting. Now first, interesting box. Uh, look to the bottom of your screen, and I think you will see yes, the head there of a special effects person crouching behind uh, the control panel. Uh, I think now. I think, I think Stratford Johns is giving a different performance here. I've got a feeling these are his first scenes, so I think his makeup is slightly different. Um, but I also think he's being a, a bit more of a sort of gruff alien. Uh, and I think this scene and maybe his last scene, where he gets shrunk, 
are in here, and I think are in the first... I could be completely wrong about this. Yeah, I'm being... This is too primitive for my technology. I'm being doing sort of alien acting. And I think somebody's had a word and gone, I don't think you need to do that. And so then he's gone for the slightly more naturalistic and I think more effective. And I like unnaturalistic acting in Doctor Who. I like big acting in Doctor Who. And I think sometimes you need that sort of Shakespearean heft to to give grandeur to, uh, you know, or to, or to match the unusualness of the situations. But I actually think I like it when Johns goes the other way with that with that casual authority that he has, you know, playing against the 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 the, the strangers. I you say past the I actually was at school with a guy who said past the sodium chloride and I liked him actually. He was a nice chap, but I, I find it massively punchable now. <laughs> Sorry, and I'm not a violent man. Um but um <laughs> uh now, uh, uh, apparently, there's the, the chances of Tegan knowing uh, this language are impossible, but it doesn't matter. I think it's quite nice when you have, uh, you know, she's she's a she's a companion and she's Australian, and they go, well, let's have something in the story that we, you know can bring that into play, even if it's just for a moment like this. I think that's intelligent use of the the companion, even if it's um, uh, totally unlikely. Um, uh, and I, 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 there's there's something very interesting about having the the, the different the different cultures. I, know, I I think it it could have been explored better if they'd given these characters a, a bit more to do other than dancing. Time spent dancing, I think, could have been spent, you know, examining the the, the cultures and 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 the different characters' reactions. Philip Locke. Uh, I can't quite get to grips with whether I think Philip Locke is brilliant in this or awful. Again, it's quite an odd performance. And in some moments, I find him heartrendingly beguiling and strange and offbeat. And other points, I find him really odd and tonally misjudged. But I, I, I find that a bit with the direction as well. I think I think some of it is sort of elegant uh, and some of it is clunky. It's a, it's a weird mix. And Bert Kwok... Uh, I mean, a legend, uh, uh, a, a national treasure, uh, and that's a terrible joke. I'm Lynn Futu, you'd never have guessed it, you're in the best of I mean, that's a, that's awful. It's um, <laughs> just on every level. Um, and he's had a few of those, Davison, sort of witty comebacks to somebody saying their name or something, and him saying something, you know, vaguely, almost sort of racist, you, you know, you uh, I'll say something and you're, and you're a frog-like alien, so I'll I'll say something back that seems like a quip but isn't, and, and same with it. Yeah, um, the the jokes in this aren't great, shall we say? And Tegan's drawings have come to life, uh, which is a nice, strange thing. And you can see now that it's the wonderful Paul Shelley, excellent actor, and uh, Annie Lambert, who is in a lot around this time, and you have. One of the weirdest cliffhangers uh, in all of Doctor Who. Because, and Stratford Johns gets second billing. Love that. Love it when a guest actor gets uh, promoted above the companions. I don't know why, I just do. I think it's because I think Stratford Johns should be credited above Matthew Waterhouse. <laughs> uh, I think Paul Shelley should be as well. Um, Paul Shelley, if I, we'll, we'll talk about Paul Shelley in future episodes. Um, uh, but 
it's a really strange and I remember when it when it happened going oh I expected cliffhangers to be more like you know kill him kill him now and all of that but do you know what I kind of like it it's it's weird um, and because you don't have to wait till next Saturday either because there was two episodes a week I think it is a kind of oh, oh really what ah uh. um, and as I say this isn't particularly what I wanted of Doctor Who at the time. But I, I find myself, and, and also, you know, part of this is that I, I do get to talk all the way through it, which means that some of its, um, you, you know, some of the, 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 the time that it takes to unfold, I have managed to fill by gassing. That's the nature of a commentary. And if I was purely watching this, would I be checking Twitter or you know, having a quick go on the cricket game on my iPhone or something. I'm, I might be, but I think that's a that's a conversation to be had about our wavering attention spans. Um, I think there's enough in there that's beguiling, that's offbeat, that's strange, that's different. And, that, and hey, you know, one of the joys about Doctor Who is that is that infinite format that it has. And this wants to be a straight I think you know the, the the sort of mix of cultures thing is very interesting we we don't quite know what the plot is yet there's a there's a vague sort of semblance of threat there's certainly a, a an interesting uh villain that you want to see more of in 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 monarch there's there's this but we don't know what the story is and it's a kind of WTF as the kids say so I enjoyed that even though um it is a bit strange, and I and I think you know, hands. You know, I think the TARDIS is a bit too crowded, and I think some of the writing of the Doctor and Adric in particular is is uh, leaves something to be desired. It's got it's got a it's it's sent as I say, its sense of humour is is uh, I think slightly skewiff, but it has other bits of sort of offbeat dialogue and stuff that I think are quite charming, and also I think. You know, Stratford Johns does just brilliantly with uh, with with some of the stuff that that he's given. He just makes it seem so right and seem so interesting. He's yeah, it's, good actors can just make um, you know nonsense, nonsense baffle go. I th I think the phrase I'm looking for is good, that I know it's the it's the phrase that came into my head as soon as I before I started stumbling it. Good actors can make. Smell sweet is the is the phrase. Um, uh, but the thing I'm the, the thing that but the thing, and I I suspected I was gonna. Well, I thought I thought I might choose the sets actually, um, and I'm not I'm not just saying that because Tony Burrow has given me an interview. Uh, I, I've I've always liked his his work, and I and I remember the last time I watched this, being really impressed with the design work. But but actually, what really and I wouldn't be surprised if it gets mentioned again and, and probably becomes one of my things. Interesting, though, because James is a writer. He's going to like weird things because he's a funny fella. But but I, I have to choose the lighting, which I think is, I didn't even check, I think is Don Babbage. Um, I just think there's a really strong use of lighting there. And it's... You know, it's overcom it's 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 compensating for a lot of wandering around at c corridors, but it's just it's so inventive 
there's so much attention to detail in it and it's not just the the light streaming in from off when the when the doors slide open and coming through the grill but then there's the different colored lighting that that red stuff in the, that red hue in the in the uh, you know in the bay where the t in the in the laboratory where the tardis lands uh and i haven't even mentioned the music which i also like uh i'm going to say don babbage's lighting is my favorite thing about episode one of four to doomsday what is james goss's favorite thing about episode one of four to doomsday the best thing about episode one of four to doomsday is the corridors because it is the best looking spaceship that there has ever been in the history of doctor who and i think you should fight me ah the corridors do i get half a point for that i mean i did talk about the the set design that might have scuppered me for the set design as well damn um i mean the i did talk about how the corridors were lit well look if it comes to a photo finish which it won't um i, I might take a a, 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 a sprinkling of victory from to nudge me over the finish line from episode one but uh let's see eh? um well look uh we've got four episodes till uh, the doomsday of this particular run of happy times and place well only three now three to doomsday uh we've got four choices till doomsday because james has to choose one from each remaining episode plus one bonus thing so uh yeah we'll see we'll see if my vague crossover with james uh in episode one uh helps me with any of the the the, the four more choices till uh till i face the doomsday of yet another um failure to get anywhere close to a victory in happy times and places uh, i've, I've torturously tried to do two four to doomsday um appropriate bits of wordplay there to tie it in with this but i think it means i've made more sense of what four to doomsday means in happy times and places than i ever have quite with the story um but anyway um i enjoyed that i found that interesting and odd and strange and and i think it's partially because it's not a story i I've, i visit a lot um see there's always something Doctor Who, isn't there? Um, so, join me for the next three episodes. But for now, uh, for now, um, enjoy the rest of whatever it is you're doing today, and uh, come back to me when the rest of these episodes go out, where I can guarantee you uh, a little bit of enlightenment and perhaps, perhaps, a little bit of uh, persuasion that for to doomsday it's not as bad as you thought it was uh, thanks very much indeed ta-ta well welcome everybody uh, i thoroughly enjoyed in a strange kind of way episode one of four to doomsday uh or inside the spaceship um which is where we spent uh, that first installment and uh, we left on a very strange cliffhanger. I'm in the company of James Goss. He chose the corridors. I chose the lighting, but I like the lighting of the corridors. Certainly the design is getting a thumbs up from James and I. Let's see what we will enjoy about episode two. I'm watching on BritBox, even though I also have it on DVD and on Blu-ray. 
so and yeah so <laughs> what is going to happen to all this stuff when i die um so people are going why has he got it what what um anyway but i think we all have that in common don't we so uh i also have signed photos of some of the cut let's not get into that uh watch from the we're strange people aren't we we don't we're not str as strange as anybody else actually well well i just think we allow our strangeness a full flourish i think other people other people try and keep a lid on their strangeness and it makes them furious <laughs> whereas actually i think if you embrace it and just i'm i'm aware that what i do is nonsense but life is kind of nonsense um and uh, if you if you don't if you don't give full rein to your and I'm not saying oh aren't I wacky because I hate those people too I'm just going uh, don't you know there's nothing we, we all have characteristics that are probably you can trace back to the animal uh, within us um, and this is you know based on you know we catalogue things and keep them in order and obsess over them because they're the things that make you feel safe and if you feel safe uh, you are less on edge and if you're less on edge uh, and feel that your nest is surrounded by the things that you enjoy and that make you comfortable and stimulate you 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 better function in life that's my story and I'm sticking to it as I watch a piece of television uh, from uh, the early 1980s that I've seen many many times before when I haven't read all of James Joyce's Ulysses or learned to make pasta but there we go that's that's the journey I'm taking through life and this is going to be a journey on a very slow spaceship uh, so we're going to watch from the beginning of episode two as I press whatever it is I press uh, in three two one and watch from the beginning so it's going to start with uh, I know some people hate this theme um, I actually rather like it um, I'm not wild about Davison's face I've said this before I think Davison's face is not great for the title sequence um, uh, that pleasant open face and it opens like a Venetian blind um, I wasn't wild about the neon logo but I quite like it now um i yeah I, st I still don't think any of it's a, a patch on the uh uh on the on the earlier stuff but uh maybe it has nostalgia for me i don't know um yes because some of you listening to this i suppose you you know this will this will be an an old story for you uh, whereas for me as i as i said uh, l l l uh, last time it's it's quite it's it's a modern one it's a new doctor i watched this story unfold um, and then I'm reading the credits, you go, a lot of those people are dead now. And of course they are, because when I watched this, I was six or seven, and I'm at least 40 years older than that. Now, 40 years. So hang on, this is as old as <laughs> now as the war was when I was watching this. That's how far away it was. It's very, I think it's, I think it's quite artful to well no it's, it's quite it's quite appropriate to have the uh the two of them dressed in green they are they are the frog-like creatures so uh you know it's a bit on the nose but it it works and for the younger members of the audience it is an echo 
of uh, those creatures that we saw them as first. Um, I wish we'd had a better look at the close-up of their masks. Maybe he didn't do a close-up of the masks because they didn't spend a lot of time working on them because they were only going to be used for a very short amount of time. Paul Shelley is a marvellous, marvellous actor and quite big news at the time. Uh, I remember he was in Secret Army. Uh, he was in a few things on the telly, but he'd also had come or was about to come to the Ludlow Festival. Uh, I live Minister of Enlightenment. He's, he's, he's got a very nice, sharp features and a pointed voice, which makes him excellent for... Well, for heroism, also for authority, but also for um, uh, sort of arch villainy. He's, 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 he's a well-sculpted actor, I think, tonally and visually, facially. He's got a, a great pointed face um, and, and has had a fine, fine career. I mean, he was acting, playing lead roles at the, the Globe Theatre in relatively recent uh, history. Um, brother of the actor Francis Matthews. Um, he was somebody that I'd approached for Who's Round via a friend. of No, somebody just emailed me and said, oh, I, I sort of know Paul Shelley. Um, shall I ask? And I went, oh, yeah, great. And got a message back saying, no, he's not really, it's not really his thing. And then Lisa Bowman asked him not that long after, and he was really enthusiastic and he missed his train and he went to the trouble of looking up my agent and ringing my agent and saying, I don't have his number. Can you call him and say, I'm sorry that I'm late. And blah, blah. and, and, and uh, I, I bought many people a meal for, for doing Who's Round and he, he would only accept a chocolate muffin uh, and was game and enthusiastic and, and made the journey in. He doesn't live in London. Um, so having had a no from one advance, got a yes from another. Look at the depth of that set. They're going out. They're going out into lighting. Very, very good design. Um, so I'm, I'm very fond of Paul Shelley. Um, uh, and I know he's not, he's not embraced sort of fan events or anything with any, any greater uh, enthusiasm because I know he's been approached and it's been very polite. It's just not his thing. So I, I still don't quite know why. And I'm not saying it's anything about me because I have equally had people who have said no to me and I've gone, oh, well, they're obviously it's not their thing, who've then said yes to loads of other people. So I think there's and there's a few of us who've sort of tried to trace and track down sort of support players or, or people a bit further down the cast list or, you know, not uh, to, 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 to complete all of that, the, the sort of jigsaw puzzle of Doctor Who. And sometimes being very professional and saying your BBC credentials really helps. Uh, and I remember trying desperately with, with I tried so many different approaches for... For, for Norman Jones, who uh, was Major Baker in the Silurians, and Chris Song in the Abominable Snowman, Hieronymus in the Mask of Mandragora, and I thought, well, the final what I'll do is I'll I'll wear you know I'll, I'll I'll wear all my official you know I'll put all my CV stuff because I'll come across as a real real professional, uh, and you know either got nothing or uh, no he's not interested. But then I, I discovered later a friend of mine who'd written as a sort of enthusiastic, you know just an enthusiastic sort of p p uh, non you know non media type as it were uh, and got a lovely reply so and I, I discovered later about about norman that, that that he was he was slightly disappointed by the end of his career and thought he'd been let down by the industry so me coming across as oh well i'm professional i'm from the industry was actually totally the wrong approach so that's just an example of that i'll probably use when I do the commentaries for Abominable Snowman, <laughs> Doctor of the Silurians and, uh, and uh, Last Grand Dragon, so it has no place here. But just I didn't want to seem boastful about saying, oh, I got Paul Shelley and he doesn't do other stuff because I've equally had people um, who've not spoken to me have spoken to loads of other people. So uh, 
and thank God for the likes of Ben Jolly and Lee Allen and Stephen Griffiths who are uh, and Alex Moore who are other people who who like to track people down. I love that effect with the monopticon and the hat dangling off it. Uh, obviously, that's on a bit of string, but it's still moving. That's but it, and it's not moving like it's wobbling. That's a great shot. The uh, and of course called the uh, bankens, and I like the sort of bank of panels behind them. Uh, there's a real sense of scale there. You you know, Doctor Who is often feels like it's quite confined, and that can work to its advantage. And 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 having small pokey sets in 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 atmospheric stories can can really work. But this, I think, has a great excuse the pun majesty about it uh, a, a, a real sense of this because you need a sense of scale because of the sheer length of the journeys back and forth that this uh, this is taking uh, soul is a blasphemy I like I like that idea flesh time uh I, 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 and the whole thing, I, I, and I like having not liked some of the the, the writing of the, the humour in particular. I do think things like the flesh time is a lovely evocative sort of phrase, uh, and and it, and it means they're setting us up for a, a sort of different mindset. That's the interesting thing about these villains is that they're they you know they conduct their whole way of life in a totally different way, and I find that very interesting. Um, Davison's already, I mean, he's landed fully formed, hasn't he? He's, he even puts his hands in his pockets well. <laughs> he's, he's and, oh, but, and excuse me for repeating myself, but I know not everybody listens to all of these. I was not a fan of Davison as a youth uh, because he was not Tom Baker. Uh, uh, and he wasn't one of the other doctors that I hadn't really seen much of. Uh, but because they were on before I was born, they were brilliant. Uh, I love Davison. Now I think he's probably the most consistent actor of the lot um i don't think he's i don't, I, th I think he judges his performance really well and i think he he rises beyond the limitations of of what could be seen as the the, the downfalls of the casting i that he's young uh and sort of fresh-faced uh and i think he 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 conveys intelligence he conveys eccentricity and he conveys, and I, I love that sort of desperate that the, the, the fact that his voice goes to quite a high register um, means that he can do panic and he can do tetchiness. But crucially, he suggests an older person in a younger person's body, without sort of doing crusty, fusty acting. It's a great performance, um, and it's a it's a character actor's performance in a, the body of a leading man. Haha. <laughs> Um, and credit to John Nathan Turner because he, you know, following Tom Baker is really hard, of course, really hard. Baker was, you know, the definitive doctor at the time, you know, and lasted for so long. He was everybody's, you know, idea of Doctor Who. People still fondly, fondly remembered the old ones, but Tom Baker was such a success, certainly in in my sphere of reference anyway. There was the odd bus driver who went, oh, I like that John Pertwee the best. Um, uh and yes, of course, the thing, your first Doctor is your favourite Doctor. But I think, you know, Tom Baker made such an indelible mark on the show. Following him was hard. And I, I would I would argue harder than the job that any... Well, I suppose Troughton had a hard job. Anyway, it was hard. And I think it was a... That's a nicely composed shot as well. Um... um and I, th I think John Nathan Turner 
casting a star, you know, all creatures great and small. Davis Davison was such a well-known face. Um, and, and casting from sort of left field, not trying to match Tom Baker, but going a completely different direction, was a canny piece of producership. And I think the viewing figures showed that. And, and you know, Davison's performance showed that. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think that was, it was one of... It showed, you know, it showed how strong Nathan Turner could be, um, whereas we know in other areas his judgment um, wasn't always on point. But I think, I, I think, you know, I think there was a time when you know he couldn't put a foot right in the eyes of fans, myself included. I liked being an angry fan at that time, and uh, uh, and, and and actually, that's uh, he, it's his his the balance of his successes and failures. I think is 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 more even than I think we sometimes you know think when you know when our when our thoughts of that time automatically kick in um summon Bygan. he's he's got he's he's great he's yeah he's good I love the way he leans forward I don't know why because uh, it, it's just again it's just sort of punctuating the sort of stiff kingliness thing but it but it has a power to it there's a lot of this isn't there of of uh, different extras representing different time periods doing dances which is it's a it's a thing um somebody should have told those two wrestling extras to fold their arms in the same way because they've they've decided to do them in different ways i don't know um and that's now I think that shot of Shelley there is taken from quite far away and zoomed in, and it just gives it a slightly different quality to if they'd had the camera up closer. And it sort of again, it just helps to suggest people looking over each other and the, the, the crowdedness and the and the distance between. And yeah. Um. But but as as I say as yeah as, as it's a recreation yeah. Now, as I say, I think the whole thing about the different cultures is is a is a really great concept, and I think you could do so much with it today that they don't do here. It's almost as if it's enough to say we have, you know, um, actors in different costumes, actors of obviously different ethnicity. Um, now, Philip Locke here. I remember his his uh, obit in was it the Guardian. Which was written by a friend, so it wasn't as objective as 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 obits have to. They've changed their house style slightly. It might have been the Independent, but the same applies really. But uh, it described him as playing a barmy android in Doctor Who. I just like the use of the word barmy, and I don't think he... he's so so good at this sort of dialogue. Uh, so good at this sort of dialogue. Look at that set. Look at that lighting. Um, Beautiful, and the, that Monopticon. This is all great, uh, if ponderous. <laughs> um, <laughs> music's good too. Uh, very bright, yeah. And so we've got. And I suppose this is quite. This is quite sixties. I don't think Terence Dudley's ever watched Doctor Who before, do you? <laughs> or if he did, it was in about nineteen sixty-four. I think he watched the Censorites. <laughs> he watched the Censorites, directed Megloss, and then did this, and then, and, and and this was the result. 
But uh, he was an odd child, and I know because I know Peter Davison is not a fan of Terence Studley's scripts either. And didn't he? Uh, he seems to have had a history of sort of falling out with people who 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 created his uh, who's, who's who's who created series that he produced because I think he took he took Survivors the sort into the sort of good life direction, didn't he? Which is not what Terry Nation had envisaged. Uh, and and I and I don't think Peddler and Davis were wild about what he did with Doomwatch. So. My impression is he seems to have spent a lot of his time um, pissing people off. I think he died on Christmas Day. So he even ruined Christmas. Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. Um, but I would be interested. I don't know anyone that, that, ever, that ever met him. I'd be interested in, fi- in, in doing, finding out a bit. Because he was one of those, because he was much more of a sort of name before he came to Doctor Who almost. This is like the sort of back end of his career, really. So when you think about Terence Dudley, you really sort of think about those 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 producerships he had of those those great those great series in the seventies and, and his and the, and this sort of weird Doctor Who flavoured coda that uh, that took him to retirement. Um but I'd be interested to I don't know, because I've got sort of little nuggets about him, I'd be interested to get the full story i think um so yes that i mean i i i can imagine i can't would he have had to have submitted a storyline episode two doctor who watches lots of dances and waves at one of the baddies uh, 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 whilst wondering what's going on um they have lungs. I was, let them remember that. I think that's very nice, and that that sort of emphasises, you know, Monarch's whole um, ambivalence towards the organic. <laughs> uh, he wouldn't find many shops to his liking here in Chalton, uh, South Manchester, where you can't move, can't move for hummus and uh, organic kale, um, and I like. I, I always like Doctor Who when it contrasts, when it juxtaposes, when it when it. Um, so, so we've got somebody here who looks like a picture postcard Greek philosopher, um, and you know then they've gone for the very stereotypical look, but that's absolutely the right choice because you've got him typing into a a, a keyboard, and I love those chunky keyboards. They're much more. They make a great noise, uh, and there's a lot of them in 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 this period of Doctor. Who. And I suppose to somebody that was born after me, it, they probably look a bit sort of quaint and old-fashioned. But to me, they're they're, they're great. They're, they're sort of chunky, and I, and I and I like the way I like the way they augment consoles in '80s Who. Um, it's all I guess shows it's all about context and when you were when you were born. Um, but seeing a you know a Greek philosopher typing into a commodore 64 keyboard i get to, i like that i i i i i like what uh, that's doctor who to me colliding uh different recognizable things uh, and making you look at them afresh and strange and they look incongruous uh and and you know that's what that's what the concept of doctor who is it's a it's a it's a police box on an alien planet that's that you know that's the that, 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 that you know that's the essential of doctor who and 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 you know uh 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 a natural development of that is 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 to have a greek philosopher typing into keyboard i like the way that but um philip Locke does this where he uh where he 
does that oh i'm 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 pretending i'm talking to you normally and ex- explaining the fight but uh, i'm i'm actually showing that i want to talk to you um i i i think he acted that well and i think it's a nice moment um between the characters um it's been one of my favorite bits so far uh and it's i said su- i said su- and i suppose it's I suppose the the sort of the length of time that it takes uh, adds to the tension. It's a funny old fight. The fight sequences in this are a bit odd, um, uh, and, and of course it was a good diversion of the Doctor because you think, oh, it's a bit hoary that he does a faint, um, but actually, uh, you know, it just it, it of course it distracts persuasion, which it's supposed to do, but also it it ties in thematically with um the pomposity that monarch has about you know his his way of being so he's like yeah the, these fleshy people these organic people they faint uh which means that it's it, it's useful to the plot as well as to the uh, the immediate needs of the story which is to get bygen out of the way and the doctor to cause a distraction um i know they're supposed to be letting them sort of wander around and, and she does raise the question of saying is it is it wise to let them see but i think i think i think your villains these days would just go let's not let the people do the thing that that might get them to find out bits about our plan but i said no i suppose because because monarch is is arrogant and and again i think i think john's is very good not to to overplay that he doesn't you know he doesn't well, i suppose he does have a superior time, but he, he just pitches it right it's a, it's a well-pitched performance. Because um, there's some funny special effects in this, aren't there? Is there oh, I think there's a, is there a stabbing now that is a bit weird? Um, and it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you do actually see the thing go through him. Um, I remember that being awful. It's actually pretty good, isn't it? It's, it's, it's strange because it's done with a, with a special effect, isn't it? To, to actually see the, to see the sword go through. Um, a very stylized fight, though. The, st- the fight is B.H. Barry, isn't it? Who also um, did the fight in... Uh... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of this, isn't there? Well... <laughs> um, uh... <laughs> I don't know. I think there's just something quite comical about yet another dance. <laughs> We've had them all now. <laughs> um Oh yes, and I and actually it's 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 rather good to see, you know, Tegan so appalled by thinking she see you know we get a bit blasé about death in Doctor Who, but this is this is one one quite a nice riposte to that where somebody's actually pretty disgusted uh, by what she's seen when actually it ironically isn't it that we see so there's so much real death that people don't bat an eyelid about, but this is a, a fake death. Um, but again, it's one of those useful things, in a, a bit like the, the the atmosphere that I was talking about in episode one, that a series that is so often blasé about. It's a nice to occasionally have a more realistic um, uh, reaction to death, just so that we take stock and, and and just remind ourselves that you know the the things that we take in our stride in these shows would be things that would actually absolutely appall us and give us PTSD uh, within five minutes. And this is a great piece of, oh, hang on. Uh, so okay he's been stabbed but he's not dead and he's been mended what is that all about and I, 
Um, and I suppose, you know, we can guess because of the references to flesh time and that sort of thing. But we, ha- we aren't quite sure. Um, and, and it's letting its developments out, um, you know, a, a, a bit at a time. Uh, that was very uh, that was very pre-credit sequence in in New Who, wasn't it? Somebody will advance towards us and we'll and we'll back away because um, uh, somebody's advancing slowly. Whereas if it if it hadn't been at a dramatic high point, they'd have just grabbed them and pulled them out, pulled them out. Um, so the only organic life is is in the floral chamber. He's got an odd diction, but I do like it. Um, he only had one eye, Philip Locke, but we'll 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 get into that uh, in in the next. Uh, now th- I, I remember this being a slightly naff effect as well, but actually, it's again I, I ah yeah that doesn't quite work. I could see what they're going for there, but of course, his face stays where it is when he lifts the mask, whereas of course, it would that the mouth would move up. Uh, so. A brave attempt to do an effect there that doesn't quite work, uh, but actually the revealing of the the chest is okay, and I adore that. And again, I, I remember at the time being slightly nonplussed by it because I was six and I wanted somebody to point a gun at somebody. Um, but and I think the sort of slightly plaintive way that he goes, "This is me," uh, I find charming and weird. Um, but it reveals that now I suppose the re- re- revelation that somebody is an android is a bit sort of it's a bit bread and butter for Doctor Who but the way that it's sort of drawn out in a way and the and, and, and the way that they build up to it the only organic life is in the floral chamber and, and you know this is me rather than I'm an android this is me I think is is charming and and weird and slightly and that, as I say that slightly forlorn way that he does it uh, uh, I think is really rather disarming. So again, I'm I'm sort of speaking against my first experience of of this uh, show and saying that I I you know again I I really like that cliffhanger. I suppose because I've got so many Doctor Who cliffhangers that I've seen many times and a lot of them are fairly similar and this these two aren't you know they're 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 peculiar um and I think I'm going to choose the cliffhanger as my favorite thing of episode two this is me um even though I I think the bit where he lifts his his head is obviously where they've superimposed Philip Locke's face onto the onto the mask but of course then when the mask lifts the face stays where it is and of course vanishes but it doesn't vanish in the way yeah it doesn't quite work um, which adds to the slightly weird disjointedness of this story which I've also I've I've always acquainted with you go oh yeah it's quite slow and wondering about a spaceship but it's actually it's quite charming and quite philosophical and you know, there's nothing bad about it. and then you go oh no there are a series of really bad special effects uh which because uh, we're gonna I'd, I'd completely forgotten and go yeah there's not actually not that many because the stabbing was fine and the reading of the chest was okay although the circuitry does just look like it's sort of been jammed into a cupboard it doesn't look like the sort of beating android heart of a of a of a of a you know it's not blade runner is it it's 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 like it's like a box of spare parts um but i 
Um, but I've 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 just remembered that some very bad special effects still to come. Um, but which which I wonder if it didn't have a, a couple of sequences that are really you know quite poor. I wonder if we would be more charmed by this story. But I suppose we want a bit more excitement from our Doctor Who Dewey than this. But if I want an exciting Doctor Who, I've got plenty on the shelf. So again, it is with the benefit of the fact that I have every episode of Doctor Who in several different formats and uh, can choose one with machine guns whenever I want that because th th that I th feel that this also has a place in the canon, which, as I say, I'm, I'm not sure was my feeling when I watched it as a kid. But I was six, what did I know? Uh, what does James... I wasn't six, I was seven. Was I seven, six, seven? Oh, I was eight. Six, seven, eight. I was eight. I was eight. I still didn't know very much. So, James Goss, what does he think of part two? And what does he choose as his favourite thing? We had a similar little bit of smattering of crossover with the first one. I'm hoping he's chosen the cliffhanger. I feel that he might have done. I'm feeling... I was going to say quietly confident. I've just said it out loud about this one. James. The best thing about episode two is obviously enlightenment and persuasion because they are Doctor Who villains literally drawn from a companion's mind and they are sassy. Even a story as wonderful as Four to Doomsday does not necessarily deserve enlightenment and persuasion because they are fabulous. And my favourite moment, even though it isn't necessarily from this episode, is definitely, yes, Doctor, the poor are always with us. These are villains who know they're on a Doctor Who story and are really, really enjoying it. Hooray! Uh, enlightenment and persuasion are good. They're very 80s as well, aren't they? They look very 80s. Paul Shelley was also, he'd been in um, uh, Tale of Two Cities as well, hadn't he? Directed by Michael Bryant, playing the lead in that. Uh, so, you know, very, very... Oh, or had he been in that, or was he about to be in it? Look it up. This is I'm not not AMDB today, um, but he was certainly he was a face of the eighties, and Annie Lambert was also uh, a face of uh, a face of the eighties. So that you know, this is Doctor Who. You know, it was always oh, it's that person, and I think it just it just always gave something a sheen of quality of people that you'd seen from other things turned up and lent their heft to to silly old Doctor Who. It made you think, oh, Doctor Who's not silly. These are, you know, this is this is stuff that attracts quality. Um, so yeah, well done for choosing enlightenment to persuasion. Would I have chosen them? I don't know. Maybe I've sort of rather taken them for granted. Um, uh, and they look great. I love his velvet jacket. And she's stunningly beautiful. Anyway, James chose Enlightenment Persuasion. I chose the cliffhanger. Well, that was him. And this is me. Well, <clears throat> welcome everybody back to this particular run of Happy Times and Places, where the place is a big old spaceship with a hydroponic centre, some excellent sets and some fine lighting. Uh, and the happiness comes from the, the, the sets and the fine lighting, uh, <laughs> but maybe some other places as well. I'm in quite a buoyant mood this evening. Uh, sometimes these things are simply dictated by uh, what uh, what's what's going on. Uh, it's not even what's going on. I have no external stimuli have cheered me up. I just happen to be bouncier this evening. Right. Anyway, you don't need to know, do you? You don't care about you, Toby. What? what? We just care about Doctor Who. Quite right, too. So, uh, we're going to watch from the beginning. I am watching episode three, 
accompanied by James Goss of Four to Doomsday. And I'm going to get it to start in three, two, one. So, of course, we're in the beginning of uh, the second week. I suppose it's a bit like Doctor Who these days, isn't it? Is that you get 50 minutes of Doctor Who over the course of a week. It's just this was split up into weekdays. I was never very happy with it being on uh, weekdays because I had at this time been sent to boarding school, not because we're posh, because we didn't have any money and uh, mum had, got, had to go back to work. And so a local school took me and paid for by a charity. So I was only down the road, but it meant I slept there. But that meant... Uh... Oh, no. Did that happen this year? You don't care. It doesn't matter. No, I actually saw this go out. That happened next year. That was to come. I was blissfully ignorant of the fact that the following year I was going to miss Doctor as it went out. I saw these go out uh, live. Watched on a black and white portable television. Though it's funny because I don't see this in black and white. Uh, I see it in colour, although when I first did see it, we had a black and white telly. We didn't get a colour telly for quite some time. The two doctors, I think. It's terrifying, isn't it? Um, so, uh, Philip Locke. I love Philip Locke, and I'm really liking his performance in this. I'd had a difficulty with it. I, I think he says by Zeus at one point in a later episode that's not especially convincing. But anyway, I, I love this sort of sing-song melancholy that he has um and he had a fine stage career he was um i we i used to watch quite often i'm a big fan of the play anthony and cleopatra and there was a there was an rsc version that before before they did sort of national theater live and stuff they did a they sort of did a televised version it was the stage production but it was a really well filmed they sort of thought about how to present it on camera production of Anthony and Cleopatra, Richard Johnson and Janet Suzman were the title roles, and um, Patrick Stewart was Ina Barbas, and a very leering Agrippa, which in the play itself is sort of basically, you know, one of Caesar's henchmen guys, but Philip Locke and Patrick Godfrey were Agrippa and Macinus, and, and uh, I think they rolled a couple of, you know, they gave them a few extra lines, rolled a couple of parts into them. And he's a really, he's a really memorable Agrippa. But he, uh, he was of course also Peter Quince in the very famous Peter Brook Midsummer Night's Dream, which also starred Tommy off of Planet of the Spiders. John Kane was Puck, and uh, Philip Locke was Peter Quince, and in a landmark, um, you know, world-changing production. Uh, set on you know trapezes on a on a white set. Anyway, um, the Chinaman. Oh dear. Um, but I, I I like all of this, you know, pondering on what existence means. You know, is 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 Bygan any less in existence because he is, uh, you know, a, a load of different circuits in the same way that actually if you boil us down to our constituent parts, although. It is flesh. We are in the flesh time. It is the flesh that uh, transmits our neurons and our thoughts and our, you know, and, and, and powers us via oxygen and, you know, how, how we process different things to make this organic vehicle move. What, why is that any different to a series of, uh, uh, you know, electronic uh, cables and uh, 
silicon chips and all of that. And uh, yeah, external and internal. Yeah, the organs aren't too bad, Monarch, but let's not get into that. What about love is that's a very, that's the great, uh, you know, cliche of what you say, isn't it, to a machine in science fiction. But I, I like the way that Enlightenment <laughs> describes it as the exchange of two fantasies. Uh, and now Adric wades in and wouldn't it be lovely if Adric was being full of guile and conning Monarch in order to find things out uh, but no Adric's just being stupid <laughs> so um, I don't know what why they thought that to, to make him constantly wrong <laughs> and usually for a hot-headed impetuous and not very likable um, reason motivation why anyone thought that was a good idea I've no idea and I do feel sorry for Matthew Waterhouse because it's it's there's there's no irony there's no twinkle in in what he does he's a prick <laughs> um, I mean, and it's suddenly it's suddenly kicked in, hasn't it? Because we haven't really had the plot kick in, and now suddenly we're going, oh, everyone's an android, and Monarch wants to invade the Earth. What? Hang on, was was there any real sort of statement about that? Well, that was it. Um, So, yeah, so this is, we're suddenly getting a big, big uh, info dump. It's an interesting way to tell the story, isn't it? Because this is essentially V, or the Claws of Axos. Aliens turn up and go, we're really nice. Well, this is what Monarch's planning to do. Um, but, but actually are there for nefarious means. Now, the way they've decided to tell this story is that we, we, don't, we don't get to Earth. Um, uh, because this story ends before monarch's plan is put into operation uh yeah that's see i'm not having just eulogized but i wasn't a great fan of the way he says with this he will conquer earth it's a very odd bit of emoting that when he's when he's doing the sort of subtle strange you know slight melancholy rather well that uh that desperation about conquering Earth. I would say it was not his métier. Because he's not not a stranger to genre. He's Vargas in Thunderball. Vargas does not drink, does not sleep, does not make love. Uh, What a series of uh, wonderful parts he had. A proper... Oh, just in those days when actors just worked and worked. Playing all sorts of great parts on stage. Then nipping in to do a bit of telly, making the odd film. Oh, heaven! I love the way that my father was killed by a tyrant, as if that's some sort of job description. Uh, you know, yes, I, I, I don't trust... Uh, you know, I can understand you sort of saying, I, I, I don't trust helicopters. My my father was killed in a helicopter. But uh, but tyrant, tyrant is a slightly... It's, it's a slightly less exact uh, demarcation, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's that my, my father was killed by a baddie, is essentially what she's saying. Is he doing a sort of Greek? Uh, I suppose he's doing a sort of the way that Greek drama was done. It was very um, declamatory and involved hand movements because they wore masks. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here because I've sort of enjoyed him. I knew there was a reason. 
yeah. Now, that's all a bit weird, isn't it? Monarch believes that he will meet himself. So Monarch is an absolute Fruit Loop. <laughs> which, which again, I mean, does it mean that Stratford John should be doing more? No, I and, and apparently some of the crew told Stratford John's was a bit too over the top. Um, I, I actually think there's an argument to say I really like his performance, but there's an argument to say he could he could chew the scenery a bit more, seeing as he's playing somebody who thinks he's God. I I, I think it really really works that he he is he is so uh, he's not underplaying it because he's not mumbling it, but he's he's casual in his power and his confidence, which I enjoy. That's it, Adric. You tell the bad guy everything. Time and relative. Yes, it's uh, it's quite chatty at the moment. This isn't it, which is aware. I'm aware what I've, I've, I've got to be. Um, yeah, you. Mind your manners, my dear. Yeah, he's he is great. Strap for Johns. Um, I think it's got a. <laughs> yes, Adric, you tell them about the bathroom. Another, another, another uh, shortcoming of the flesh time. Um, he's yes, he's guileless, isn't he, Adric? Um, and I, 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 I obviously I spent a very nice weekend with uh, with Matthew Waterhouse. Um, he's, he, he walks in a funny way as well. Yeah. Yes, because you. Well, you've. Because you figured him out. One only harms that which one fears. I like that. That's very good. Um, there's some elegant lines in this. I have free will. Oh, so he's got a right. Oh, poor old Bygan, therefore, is, has spent, what is it, 2,500 years wanting to do something about it and he's not been able to. God, they must be bored. I mean, for to Doomsday is... Uh, takes place during the most exciting time on this spaceship uh, and it's not that exciting so poor old Biken sat to spend 2,500 years prior to this when Doctor Who wasn't there it's no wonder he's slightly sli slightly unsure how to convey emotion <laughs> very good at energetic uh, yeah he's at, 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 at keeping the Keep, yeah, see that, that high-pitched, tricky thing that he does. Uh, we'll... Yeah, he, he, he is racing to keep. Tennant's very good at this as well, of, 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 of keeping the drama heightened by, it also gets exposition nice and quickly, of, of, of doing it as a sort of frantic, um, uh, you, you know, call to arms in a way of I'm yeah I'm getting this out because because we've got somewhere else to be to stop the bad things happening and it's a very clever decision, especially in a story that involves lots of wandering up and down a spaceship. <laughs> uh, oh oh, now I got a feeling Nissa gets hypnotised, isn't? I think this might be a track on the Doctor Who the Music uh, album that I still have somewhere on vinyl. Uh, 
Yeah. It's actually not much. You can't really get down and boogie to it. It's not the... Uh, it's... Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yes, do, do. Yeah, it's quite funky, but it's not, you know, it's not what you put on to get jiggity to. <laughs> so I put it on a lot because I did more of putting on unjiggity music than I did <laughs> getting jiggity. Um, no, it's not, Monarch, but you have, you and your bad guys have not risen from your chairs for the whole episode, so... Uh, the, the audience's patience is not inexhaustible either. Um, uh, so, this has been That's nice. Oh, so this is... Right, so you've got a bit of fun now with uh, the Doctor going around and distracting the Monopticons. Uh, uses his cricket ball to do it, which is rather nice. Um, and and gives the gives the sonic screwdriver a little sort of whirl in order to spin the monopticons around and that's a that's a great effect uh so that's fun always feels nice when the doctor starts to sort of undermine the status quo uh i, st I still am an entirely unsure why monarch thinks he's god unless uh, apart from i guess the fact that he's just he's just right the create yeah yeah that i haven't entirely got to grips with that part of monarch's motivation but i kind of like it and i don't know why maybe because it's slightly unclear this is a terrible waste of burt quark isn't it an obe uh I will one day do a podcast about uh, people in Doctor Who who've been honoured by the Queen uh, because I'm quite proud of the fact that the earliest person chronologically in Doctor Who's history uh, to get one uh, in terms of when, when they appear or are involved in Doctor Who uh, is not is not somebody you would think had one. Um, it's probably not somebody you even think about at all because their contribution is so minor even to the story that they're uh, uh, involved with that you wouldn't have thought that they would be somebody who who had an MBE but they are but we will wait until we do that story which nobody has oh somebody has chosen it but they haven't done it anyway uh, but uh, Bert Kwok uh, definitely deserved uh, his OBE for his I think he was an OBE for contributions to drama Cato uh, in the uh, Inspector Clouseau films always put a smile on our faces as a family and then he was you know the contrast of that him playing General Yamuchi in the brilliant series Tenko um, shows just what a fine actor he was and he was still working you know up until he only died three or four years ago maybe five now as I record this but he was still very much part of the part of the cultural furniture and uh I never had the pleasure, unfortunately, but a legend. Uh, and, I mean, playing a really terrible part in this. <laughs> you, uh, the, the good thing about the TARDIS crew is that you really want to spend time hanging around with them because they're identification figures and such good fun. Um, 
Well, of course, in real life, if you knock somebody out, you, I mean, causing somebody a concussion enough to knock them out is uh, is is extremely dangerous. And if you liked them, no, no, she's right to go. Um, <laughs> See, that's beautiful. That doorway and that that light, and but it, there is an awful lot of walking about, isn't there? Um, I still don't think I mind it. Uh, although if there was a story like this today, I would probably be quite irritated because I'd be thinking about the general public. And I do remember at the time crying out for an actual invasion. I remember that the title excited me so much. I think I said this in episode one. Um, although I still don't... Is it is it the four lead characters to Doomsday? Is it four days to Doomsday? Or is it both? Um Another great set there. I mean, it, I know it's just a few pot plants stuck about, but uh, it's it's elegantly done, and the whole the colours are nice. It looks really good. Um, and I think they had to work quite hard in those days. It just goes to show. In those days, they had to work quite hard, I think, to get the 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 the, the extras playing the uh, ethnic characters. I I I, I think. Uh, I mean, because there have always been agencies that have specialised in, I mean, even in the early 70s, Christopher Coombe, who's in The Mind of Evil, had a, an agency that specialised in, uh, you know, actors of different ethnicities. So that if there was uh, a production that was set in a particular country, you know, he sort of got it sewn up, although it didn't work particularly well, because in Mind of Evil... He ended up being in it because the actor he provided, uh, Andy Ho, uh, was 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 deemed not good enough and fired. But anyway, we'll do that in Mind of Evil. But um, but even so, I think because obviously they're not actors, they're not speaking parts. So an agency, you'd need an extras agency, really. And I I've got a feeling that the uh, extras uh, playing playing these characters came came from the local Chinese restaurant I'm, sh I'm sure that was uh, I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure I'm sure that's not a myth it might be a myth we can have myths in this because I haven't done my homework I am reacting I'm doing what, Fra what Fraser Signs always said when we did commentary so I think I think the audience prefer it if they get my immediate reactions it's like what you mean there Fraser is you prefer not to do your homework <laughs> which he's uh, under absolutely no obligation to be but don't pre don't pretend you're doing it for the audience <laughs> um so lin fuji did get something to do there he got to eavesdrop a little bit uh in order i think to go and report to, to oh gosh isn't this the funny scene where she doesn't she do a bit where she takes off and has the strangest reaction to materializing in space um Yes. Oh, it's all coming back to me. I haven't watched this for ages. Um, oh, right. So that's it. By its use. Oh, dear. Uh, isn't it interesting? Because he's a really, really good actor. And I think it's a really, really lovely performance. But that doesn't mean those two things always produce perfection um yes the 
the devil. So, um, but that that's an interesting idea. The uh, the idea that you know you yeah you you basically you put yourself all you put yourself onto a hard disc, uh, and the. And yeah, your your body is used to fertilise the flowers, which is you know that's that's good and sensible recycling. So, I I, I think that what's nice is that you could put a very good case for what Monarch is up to. So they've had to add this thing that he's slightly mad and believes he's God. Um, but but I think and I, and you know the fact that you know he was quite calm about Nyssa being a threat to him because he, she wasn't really a threat to him because he thinks he's God, so he doesn't fear things. But I think there needs to be something somewhere where where, where, there's, where there's fear or danger or somebody up to no good. I suppose Nyssa, Nyssa have... Ah, so right, here we go. That's what you want. This little me would have immediately perked up at this point. Somebody's got a laser gun. Uh, there's the, uh, somebody, this is the bit, somebody brandishing a laser gun in Doctor Who should never be underestimated. It's the sort of thing I loved as a kid. Um, Janet Fielding is working very, very hard there. Um, I think her hands are working slightly better than her face. Oh, not for me. Oh, he's such a lovely character. He's really nicely written, uh, actually. He's, and he's a really, I think he is a really lovely, well, he's a philosophical character, isn't he? Uh, it's, all, it's all rather polite, isn't it? Um, nobody's hiding. Because, uh, of course, they've set it up that the androids just have motor functions, so that they're obviously no threat to anybody. Um, and by the way I've got concussion and need immediate medical attention I love the way he does this uh, Paul Shelley is brilliant he's only had about four lines this episode um, I, oh this is the bit where because you don't really know what's going on at this point What I, I, and she's crying tears and everything but but the ship hasn't taken off. It now has taken off. But I don't know what Tegan's doing or saying there. <laughs> um, I love, I think I love this bit. Is it where he goes, de-circuit that? Yeah, beautiful. And then takes a step to the side. Uh, it's wonderful acting by Paul Shelley there. Uh, because he's he's pacing it right, he's doing the movements right, and he know, he's bringing it to the end of the episode. And this, to me, um, was much more of an episode ending than the first two, because it's it was my meat and drink. It's oh right, uh, Doctor Who's going to have his head chopped off. That's what uh, that's that's much that's a much better episode. Now, I think it's I was going to say it's the least it's the worst of the episode endings, but actually I think it's made by by mighty uh, Paul Shelley's D Circuit that and kill him uh, which I love um, oh everyone's getting a solo oh poor old Annie Lambert and Bert Quirk, but Paul Shelley got a solo solo slide there oh if there only been space for one more everybody could have had a, a solo caption there I like it when people get a solo caption um, oh Mickey Edwards he was a visual effects assistant uh, on many but was designer on this one um, died a couple of years ago 
His son sent me a couple of lovely photos. He looked like a character. He looked a bit like the actor, uh, is it Peter Martin? Sort of Toby Jug, sort of faced, cheer, cheery looking actor. Uh, so there we go, Tony Burra. Oh yes, you'll, you'll probably have, well, I don't know when I will have released the interview with him, but it's going to accompany this either uh, before, no, d during or after. Anyway, that was, uh, that was episode three, a very talky instalment um, of, of For to Doomsday. Uh, what can I choose? I, my favourite bit is when is when Paul Shelley says, "Decircuit that and kill him." But um, he's already James has already chosen enlightenment and persuasion, so he's not going to choose a moment from one of them. Uh, he's already chosen the design. The Monopticons, Monarch, Monarch is great. Stratford Johns is is brilliant. But Philip Locke is brilliant, but we can't just keep choosing people, can we? Well. I haven't I haven't chosen just people have I have chosen the episode ending and I've chosen uh the 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 lighting so do I do I choose philosophical bygone do I choose Stratford Johns's monarch who is a very good villain and it is a effortlessly good performance I think even though I don't like conquer earth and by Zeus I I do like the you know is is bygone dreaming of electric sheep I do I do like the whole the whole thing around bygone as that, that he is this mass of circuits but he, he you know he retains his 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 reason and his thoughtfulness and his philosophy and uh, and, and 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 you know the fact that, that that episode is is an enormous info dump, I think it's quite nice that it is being dumped in the tones of uh, of Philip Locke. Bygan? Do I say Bygan? I like that all the Monopticons, uh, which I do like. I do think they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, the whole androidy, flesh-timey, bygany thing i think that's a dimension of the story that comes into the fore this episode and i'm throwing a few things in there hopefully one of which will be caught in james goss's net as he chooses his favorite thing of episode three my favorite thing about episode three is that we start to understand monarch's plan we realize that uh he believes he's god because all the best doctor who villains believe they're god and that they control human destiny and that uh, he has an entire vast spaceship full of androids who worship him. This is insane. This is wonderful. And he's a frog. He is a fruity frog. Congratulations, Doctor Who. <laughs> Brilliantly put, James, and better than what I came up with. And, you know, very true about that. That's, that's certainly what happens is that we do start to understand the plot, but only in the sense that everybody sits down and tells it us after 50 minutes of walking around a ship very slowly. So I think there are different ways of doing it, but I yet I still kind of admire this slightly odd thing. Um, so, and I certainly like... Uh, uh, listening to James talk about it because uh, he's witty and funny and indeed 
a frog who thinks he's God uh, on a spaceship with some philosophical androids. Honey and Doctor Who, eh? <laughs> well, um, do come and join me for episode four of Four to Doomsday, which uh, which will be the very next release in this run of happy times and places. But for the moment, from me, Toby Haydoke, thank you very much and goodbye. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here for the final episode, episode four of Four to Doomsday, in which Stratford Johns is a frog who thinks he's God, and Cato from the Pink Panther is underused, <laughs> and uh, uh, Tegan has done something that has made her react in a very strange way to whatever's gone on in the TARDIS. Turns out she's, um, well, we will find out, but she's she's materialised outside the spaceship, but we had no idea that that was the case. Um, really, what was going on uh, last week, or last episode, because these were shown twice a week. Anyway, let's get on with it. Let's see what happens in the final episode of this very strange beast that they call Fort of Doomsday, which I'm going to press play on in three, two, one. In, I've, I've just poured myself a cup of tea in between episodes. And I've been pondering. And I, <laughs> I don't know what this is. I, I'm... As I say, I'm enjoying it, but partially because it's Doctor Who and it's so different from Doctor Who. But what possessed... What was the motivation for making this story? What made Terence Dudley go, I want to tell a story about a guy on his way to an invasion who's got this curious methodology? Um, and and sp spends lots of time watching different... Um, Arts Council funded displays of uh, movement. Uh, well, well done, Nissa, because she's she's used the graphite from the uh, and I again I love the way that um, because it's so stagey. Uh, Paul Shelley has to do a kind of I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to shoot you. No, actually, I'm going to shoot you, and it's really hokey, but he just makes it work because. He's a good physical actor, um, uh, and and over just about sells and overcomes the technical um, flaws um, in 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 the way that it, it it has to be executed, and therefore the doctor isn't ex executed. Um, and I love this. You may keep the pencil. I love that line. I don't know why I love that line, but I love that line. It's uh, it sums up this story as a whole. Is there's something rather curious and likable and strange about what it does with something very ordinary? And surely that's what Doctor Who is all about. It's the, you know, finding the yeti at the loo and, and tooting Beck. You know, um, you you may keep the pencil. I I adore that line. Uh, <laughs> and Shelley is selling this very nicely because he's still he's polite. But he's, oh, oh God, 
Another Chinaman reference, and that one's a joke. Um, oh dear. Um, anyway. I, I do like the laser gun, though. Uh, I, uh, I, as I say, I was a, a sucker for that kind of thing. Oh, poor old Bygan's been yeah, decircuited. Decircuit that. So last time we saw Tegan, she was pulling a series of slightly bizarre faces. Um, and she was either really upset or very happy, depending on <laughs> how you interpret whatever it was that she was doing. Uh, and I think it's that she was slightly shocked that she'd managed to take off. But I would say it's not particularly clear. Now that's that's the line that James likes. The poor are always with us. But why does it come when he's looking outside the window at the TARDIS? It's like we've got a good line, but we don't quite know where to put it. Because when James mentioned that line in his summation of why I liked enlightenment and persuasion, it's a great line, the poor always with us. But it's oddly placed there. Interfere with my monopoly. I wouldn't dream of interfering your monopoly. <laughs> See, that's a great Doctor who -y line. It's very charming. John Black... Is a really interesting director because he's he, I think he's very elegant he's quite stagey you know Keeper of Traken is very like a BBC Shakespeare production um, and, I, and I, I wonder if he was cast to the to the stories that lent itself to that but I, I, I did interview him and he's a very nice man a charming man John uh, uh, oh no there's gonna be another dance um, <laughs> um, I mean, if you're going to have a story where lots of people have to sit and watch some entertainment, I, I can understand that the, the sword fights may be a bit diverting for the Saturday tea time audience, but uh, but uh, the, the dances. Uh, anyway, um, and John said he wasn't invited back after after this, so and he would have happily done done more, which means and I, which leads me to think that he was slightly uh, hard done by especially as ron jones keeps coming back who i think is a very static director who does get better um but i don't think jo I, I don't think john black does anything wrong in fact i think he kind of he, he, you know he responds to the script in in the best way possible there's no disguising the fact that the script is a lot of exposition and a lot of walking about and a lot of watching dances um but he I, I I think he he judges the tone of it very very nicely. There's no point trying to. You can't make this action packed. So I think his direction really suits the style. The 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 the, the oh you're a dick, Adric. I'm so sorry, but it really is. Is there anybody that doesn't? Uh, uh, is there anybody that that? I mean, I know I'm I'm got to accentuate the positive, uh, and the positive is that, you know. Matthew Waterhouse is, I think, hugely misunderstood, and I don't like the way that he's reported. I don't actually like the way he's treated, particularly on the on the commentaries for this, where I think it seems to me that the old dynamic that was existent during the production seems to sort of reassert itself, you know, 30, 40 years later. Um, uh, whereas, whereas Matthew is actually an, an interesting, uh, funny guy. Um, 
but the, I, I don't think there's any escaping that 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 Adric is. I, I find Adric quite hard to like. Now, that may be good for the dynamic of the TARDIS in that he, uh, good leering from Paul Shelley here. Um, uh, he's he's a useful character in that he gets them into trouble. He's being well-meaning, um, but in being well-meaning, he sides with the wrong people and makes the, uh, the wrong calls. Davison does this uh, very, very well. This is another example of that. Um, we're we're passing ourselves off in 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 plain sight. Uh, and Davison does this this very well. Shut up and listen. Very nice. <laughs> He's got a great face, Paul Shelley. He's actually got a great face and i don't mean this rudely he's a very handsome man but he's got a great face for a frog actually paul shelley i can i can see you know you can you, you, you there's the sort of the sense of the reptilian there um and he's great isn't he because he's is he provine in blake seven in the episode countdown he's he's very good at those sorts of you know thin-faced villains uh but he's had a he's had a terrific career as i say um as, and latterly as a, as a director of Shakespeare um, but yeah the, the, the idea that that Adric is naive um, and, and causes trouble I think is a I think is a good one but I, I think I, I think they needed to characterise it slightly differently um, it was yeah I always liked it when Nissa had something to do when I was younger. She was definitely me as an eight-year-old was my companion figure that I sided with. So I remember really liking the fact that it was her that used science to, what was it, conduct the sonic screwdriver through the graphite of the pencil or whatever it was that she did. Um, uh, I, I loved that idea that, that, that Nissa was, you know, being proactive and, and uh, being part of it. Some more dancing. Hooray. Um, oh god there's a bit later isn't it where everybody comes to dance at once it's like, well it's episode four uh, you, uh, I mean what the audience are really gonna be singing out for is for is for the dancing to go a bit crazy um, <laughs> yeah there are some odd choices it's an odd old thing but I can't dislike it um, but it's it is like it's being made by people who don't know what Doctor Who is. And it's a funny one for your... You know, the show has relaunched with a new Doctor. And there was a story they didn't make, wasn't there? The, the John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch project. Theta Sigma. No, it's not called that, but whatever it was called. Which, which as it wasn't made, and... <laughs> um, because you've got this, and you've got Black Orchid. You've got, they're all quite sort of elegant, but they're, they're quite... slow moving stories you know they 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 take they're not afraid of taking their time it's not like we're which is why earthshock was so welcome to me as a as a kid because it's you know again it's what i imagined science fiction was like um i like the fact here that Bert quack finally gets something to do um but ah uh, but it's that it's it's that it's it's that classic thing of uh, 
a, a, it's, it's what the, the Doctor does to the Master in uh, Terror of the Autons, isn't it? After four episodes of assisting the, 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 the Nestines in their evil plan, he goes, do you really believe them? He goes, oh, actually, now that you've pointed it out, the thunderingly obvious has occurred to me. Yes, you see, it's nice to see uh, uh, Bert Kwok finally doing something and Lin Futu getting a bit of, uh, uh, you, you know, clubbing together with the Doctor um, to start, you know, to start, it's, it's fermenting a revolution, isn't it? That's what the Doctor does best, is that he upsets the status quo by, uh, by energising uh, and enabling uh, the people who have been hitherto uh, enslaved um, and also he uh, you know reintroduces humanity gets, they get Bygun back don't they they reintroduce humanity the doctor is very much an advocate of, of the flesh time and of individualism and um, you know all the things that stop us from being uh, robotic and uh, machine like and conformist so uh, to its core, it's a very Doctor Who-y idea. It, it's just... But, oh, conformity. There is no other freedom. Uh, now, I did not know he was going to say that. Um, but, of course, the Doctor is not conforming uh, uh, and and making it pretty obvious to the viewer, if not to Monarch. There's still quite a lot to happen in this episode because he's got to get the spaceship back. Uh, it's a beautiful Chinese dragon, but... Um, it's a, again, we're in episode four and the Doctor's watching um, a, 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 essentially a, a, a carnival. <laughs> um, but it's fun that he's used the dance to, to smuggle himself and bygone out of there. Um, oh, and you've got another, another, da another dance here, another fight. This is quite... Uh, um, dull <laughs> uh, what a funny funny story this is I'm interested but yeah it's I don't think anyone loves Fort Doomsday but I hope that nobody hates it because it's it's interesting as as much as for, for, for as I say the, some of the things the questions that I've raised as to how how did this get to the point it's the and I wonder what Peter Davison thought. Going, is this? Oh, I'm. I, you know, I remember the key. I remember the keys of Marinus and the tenth planet. They, they, they didn't do this. Um, <laughs> uh, and what? Yeah, why are why are bygone and enlightenment of persuasion watching two men unconvincingly wrestle? Why aren't they going? Should we be watching? Should we be watching? Uh, Line of Duty. Should we be binging? Should should we Netflix and chill, Your Majesty? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I now I like this costume as well. Um, I think the costuming in this period of the show's history is superb. Actually, um, the. the uh, I actually think season 18, 19 have, have uh, really good uh, costuming policy. The costumes are always well made. They're always elegant. I think Adric looks great in that in that uh, sort of space safety uh, costume thing that he's got on. 
Now, Princess Villagra is an actress called Nadia Hammam, and she gets a credit because it's a performance, even though her character has taken a vow of silence. But uh, I don't know much about her, but I, I, I guess I've not really... Um, I've not really looked too hard, which is odd because I, I mean, I've, I've searched in great, you know, I've, I've dug deep to find a, a thal. Uh, I think I, it's partially also because I think if, if they're from further away in time, uh, that to me feels more like archaeology. And this feels to me modern, even though it's 40 years old. Um, so, yeah, somebody born after me can find all the i mean i just think this is really funny um not because it's badly done it's obviously well choreographed and uh, it, the costumes are all great and uh it's it and incongruity as doc in doc two is good uh, you know a, a kid with a gas mask saying are you my mummy is peril you know scarily incongruous that the tardis uh, against uh, an alien vista or a gleaming spaceship backdrop that ramshackle blue box that, that incongruity is 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 charming and fascinating but the incongruity of those different dances sort of milling about that set with that repetitive the the, the didgeridoo music that keeps that keeps kicking in you just you, what what why is this <laughs> And I remember this being quite painful as a kid because I actually isn't it funny because I think it actually looks okay now, but I was always on the lookout for bad special effects and and CSO terrified me because it was the sort of thing that people at school, you know, the you could take the piss out of and you could spot. Uh, I love the laser gun and it goes it goes through Adric, doesn't it? Because oh no, it goes through it goes through persuasion and he's great because he does he dust himself down yeah brilliant uh before advancing because he's not in a hurry because he's a he's a he's a robot -y thing um uh so paul shelley i think has been absolutely brilliant throughout d despite the limitations of the part um and and i love that bit with the laser beam going through him and the way that he dusts his hand but uh so the doctor uh, oh and they 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 get they get um, they get stuck, don't they? In a in a, in a particular yeah, in a particular stance. So he oh uh, yeah, and that works really well because so basically that's poor old persuasion has been flung out into space, um, and that's I think that see that is nicely weird. Um, they know that looks strange. The idea that he's he's stuck in that position because he's been decircuited. But I you know I think that really works. I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I think this has maybe been tarted up for the for the remastering because I remember the rope disappearing quite a lot and it just being a bit uh, oh another great I love a laser beam I do love a laser beam uh, oh and I think she rather brilliantly the way she flips the way she undoes the rope and and, and and sort of rather callously no she actually does it quite jollily doesn't she, she yeah look at that look that she gives it it's just to go haha I don't care I throw you away and she gives him a little wave that's quite that's quite arch in camp I like that uh, well done Annie Lambert well done uh, uh, enlightenment <laughs> you saucy minx um, now I saw I remember I think she had a uh, the last I saw of her, she was selling her gorgeous converted farmhouse for a million quid or something, um, in the in the somewhere. Um, 
uh, and that she'd and that she'd retired from acting and she'd come out and she'd done an episode of Midsummer Murders or something in about two thousand and seven, but it said she'd come out of retirement to do that. Uh, uh, but seems happy enough anyway. Um, I think she's done some phantom film signings as well. But uh, yeah, she'd 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 given up acting and uh, and made a beautiful home for herself. Uh, good for her. Um, now this made sense to me. Oh yeah, I don't like the the obviously the the cricket cricket ball is a drawing or a video effect or whatever. Um, now I'm I'm told that the science of that is nonsense. That's interesting. I remember him having to do it far more times than that. Um, uh, yes, well done, everybody. That, that silent, cheery acting. Um, I'd remembered him having to do that a few times, the throwing the ball, uh, which, again, it was a kind of, you know, brothers and sisters going, oh, that looks awful. And it was a real embarrassing moment. I remember when I, you know, got it again on video going, oh, I remember this story being a bit boring and, and, and remembered those bits, those sort of bad bits of production being really set your teeth on edge. But actually... With the passage of time and, and all old Doctor Who sort of starting to look as each story is much like the other because it's the style of television is now not how we do it. Um, uh, uh, I, that sequence didn't look anything like as bad as I thought it would. And the science makes the momentum of him catching the ball and sending him flying back. I'm sure I read somewhere that that's absolute nonsense. But you know what? It makes perfect sense to me within the idea of weightlessness and the vacuum and whatever. I, I buy that. I quite like it. Yes, now is is Stratford Johns giving a slightly different performance here again because this is a different production block. I think this is something worth looking out for if you remember what I was talking about in episode one. Uh, oh, yes. Uh which is something that uh, that we've seen the doctor do before, uh, respiratory bypass system and all of that, um, which is always a nice little. Uh, uh, it's it's a, it's a nice moment for a fan. I was I remember being quite pleased as a kid knowing that yes, he can do that. All I have to do is I think it's never a great idea to, for a story as it's reaching its climax. Go, um, yeah. All, all all I have to do is sit down for a bit. <laughs> Um, very good uh, urgent acting there Davison um, I'd for totally forgotten about this bit but but <laughs> what are they doing I'm, I'm watching the two the two guys sort of half wrestling um, <laughs> I just find those dancers so funny not not because of the anyway Hilario <laughs> um, Bissi Pedro who plays Kakuch was in uh, uh one of the one of the League of Gentlemen's um, uh, series three, I think. I remember, and, and then died not long afterwards. Uh, oh. Oh yes, because of course he actually. That's the that's the big irony, isn't it? Is that actually um, Monarch has not had the courage of his own convictions. So that's there's a politician slash leader. Um, saying do as I say but not as I do uh, isn't that still relevant eh, listeners uh, 
considering the times that we live in. Uh, presumably, uh, the first thing he does when he lands on Earth is to have a flesh time party in Downing Street. Yo, Doctor! You see, yeah, he's doing a bit. He's doing a bit of uh, of villainous acting there. That's a great special effect. The shrinking. He needs the atmosphere, yeah, because he's still, he's still in the flesh time. Yeah. Cheeky, cheeky, cheeky. But it's a poison that shrinks people. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why the poison shrinks people. Was that it? He wasn't. I do like the idea that that these these four guys and their dancing robots <laughs> go to another planet. Uh, ow! And if, if Monarch is still alive in there, that banging on the helmet because they say you shouldn't bang on a fish tank would have probably perforated his tiny eardrums. Oh, it's a very sweet look that uh, Lin Futu and uh, <laughs> Bygone uh, exchange. Um, so. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I, I do think it's sweet that those those guys are, are going on to another place. Oh, and so it's a very abrupt ending, isn't it? With um, basically the Doctor having the file of the poison and just basic, basically saying to Monarch, ah, look, I've made everybody dance uh, and uh, I've, I've, I've frozen enlightenment and persuasion. So um, uh, Monarch just comes and goes, I've got a laser gun. And he goes, oh, I've got this thing. Shrinky, it's quite... It's quite Having spent a lot of time sitting around watching people dancing, uh, it's, yeah, what a funny thing. And then it ends with a cliffhanger with Nissa fainting. Has she been infected by the poison? Uh, uh, is her flesh time about to come to an end? No, she's, she's, the, the next episode cannot function with too many companions. So she's sent to sleep to make way for... Richard Todd and Neris Hughes and Simon Rouse in Kinder, which I've already done with the writer of The Bay, uh, Dara Carville. That's uh, That's been an earlier happy time and place. So if you're a late comer to this, do check some of the uh, earlier episodes. Um, Kinder was one I did. I went off on one, I think, about um, the dark places of the inside. But that's the nature of these. These are unrehearsed. I don't do any homework beforehand. Because that's what uh, the deep dive, too much information's are for. Uh, and I do a bit of homework for the indefinable magic, but they're, you know, they're written, they're scripted, every line uh, thought about. Whereas this is my reaction to the episodes, but uh, trying to find the positives. And I have to find two because I have to find a favourite thing about episode four. And I also have to find an overall favourite thing. Uh and uh, I'm, I'm I'm probably not going to win, but I never do. Um, but I was close with episode one, with with uh, with James. Um, I've chosen Don Babbage's lighting when James chose the corridors. Uh, in the second episode, I chose the cliffhanger when James chose enlightenment and persuasion. So I can't choose what he's already chosen. Uh for episode three, I chose the sort of bygone philosophical flesh time kind of stuff, whereas James chose Monarch's plan. There's a little bit of crossover there, but perhaps not quite as much. I I was a bit nebulous with episode three, let's be honest. Um, I was a bit 
strange and hard to decipher, which is, I think, in keeping with the story. And for episode four, I'm going to choose I Love, You May Keep the Pencil. I'm sorry, I don't care. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I'm not entirely sure why. But it's a mixture of, and I like to give a nod to Paul Shelley because uh, he's, a, he's a fine actor and jolly chat, nice man. Um, and I think overall, I have to give Stratford John's due for, I think, pitching his performance very well uh, across the whole of the four episodes and doing villainy, doing good villainous acting, but but without going through the motions. It's not villainous acting by numbers. As I say, he brings a certain casual to it whilst having a grandiosity which is difficult because that sounds like a that's that that sounds like an oxymoron um but he wears his majesty it's because he has an innate presence uh and and he's really good at delivering dialogue um and making it hit home uh so well done stratford johns i think it's a i think it's a really good performance his real name was alan alan stratford johns um and one of the uh, one of the first of the Z cars alumni that John John Nathan Turner I think basically you know when somebody goes into a meeting goes so what could you bring to this job how do you see yourself what do you see yourself doing with Doctor Who and yeah, I think John Nathan Turner said basically um, I, I'm giving roles to the entire cast of the Palaces and Z cars it was pretty high on his uh, 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 on his uh, aims for the show so what has james chosen for episode four and for his bonus thing my favorite thing about episode four and uh it's not even going to be a surprise to you or anyone is that uh it is the little program that could perhaps it shouldn't but it did that space walk only doctor who would have attempted a scene like that only Doctor Who would have attempted it with an office chair and some black drapes. Only Doctor Who would have pulled it off. Bugger off, Star Trek. Any other show, whatever. Just look at that. Look at the fact that it flies in the face of budgets, in physics, in everything. And it just goes for it. Congratulations. And my final bonus joy of Four to Doomsday is the idea. The idea of this mad spaceship full of robots who are flying around for all eternity worshipping a frog only doctor who could do this idea it's just so delightful and fun and is the kind of idea that doctor who should be doing and um, i hope you've enjoyed four to doomsday as much as you should and if you haven't that's your fault and not four to doomsdays Ah, oh, thanks, James. Uh, I do urge you to seek out his work if you haven't already. He, he will need no introduction to any of you. But his personality shines through his work. He's a delightful fellow. He's s screamingly intelligent, searingly intelligent um, and and terribly, terribly funny, which he wears very lightly as a person. Um, and he's also very charming and he's been very helpful to me as well. Uh, I like him a lot, even though I don't know him especially well. Um, and I really do like his work and I, I would urge you to seek out uh, any writing of his that you can find. Uh, he's he's really one of Doctor Who's good guys. Um, and I'm delighted he chose For To Doomsday. Um, and he's right. And you know what? That spacewalk would be a thing that I would, would have ashamed me so much as a kid. I remember at the time going, oh, God. Um, and actually looking at it now, it looks absolutely fine. I've forgotten, yes, it's an office chair. That's how he goes back. He sort of flies back because he's sitting on an office chair. 
brilliant. Good for you. Everyone else at the BBC is making stuff set in, you know, in living rooms and 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 uh, uh, pol you know, p police uh, off police offices, police stations, uh, or, or or you know, rooms. Uh, Doctor Who is doing space uh, and you know trying to and, and and the fact that also it uses the cricket ball that that, that they've gone with i don't i don't particularly approve of a, a costume of the doctor having a costume and especially one that is a motif i.e uh, he's he likes cricket so therefore he will always wear a cricket that's like saying i like doctor who i will always dress as doctor who or um uh you know some somebody's a football fan they will always wear their football scarf no you you don't people don't do that um but nonetheless if you're gonna do that if you're gonna go well he's the cricket guy then to, i think it i think it is uh, you know I, it, it is smart and delightful and artful to go okay well how's he gonna get out of this oh well he's gonna use the cricket ball that he always carries we may as well make use of the fact that he's got the cricket ball so I, I actually that whole sequence now that you know, doesn't look okay it probably looks slightly below average in terms of special effects of 1980s doctor who, but all special effects in 1980s doctor who do not hold a candle to special effects today so then as i say they all sort of merge into one really and 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 i'd expected to hate that um I th again i think it has slightly been slightly improved by the by the remastering that that we know has has gone on for um you know various subsequent re-releases and i think Britbox gets the gets the masters for the dvds or the blu-rays or whatever so it's it looks slightly better than it did at the time but that's okay um uh, i i i enjoyed that sequence much more well i it certainly didn't embarrass me in the way that uh, i thought it would and i agree with james it is it is a story it's a mad story it's weird i've got no idea what anybody was thinking but but i kind of like that's what i kind of like about doctor who you know television is full of things where you know and, and often television in those days was made as terence dick said you know we just didn't want to show the test card you you had to get the stuff out there it was made you know in a very tight window and the show had to go on and it was made in a certain way that you just wouldn't do a show like that certainly um now and even doing it then doing it the way that you make other programs that aren't set in space and having to get something out by a certain time um and but even within that slight madness you have this really strange fish of a story um that's that somebody wanted to tell and within it there are moments of great charm there are moments of great strangeness there are bits i simply don't understand and i've watched it a lot as i say that i don't understand in terms of the story but also i don't understand in terms of going what, what? because you sweat you sweat over every sentence over every full stop when you're producing a piece of work um and I don't know if the sweat sort of blurred the page and people said, well, we'll, we'll just we'll we'll just guess what this is supposed to be. I've no idea. But I was charmed by that. I very much enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed James's enjoyment of it. I hope you have enjoyed it. My thanks to James and my thanks to you for listening. Uh, and uh, uh, 
we've got to the end of the podcast uh, so I'm going to go back to the beginning and start editing it together and uh, maybe when I go back to the beginning uh, I will meet myself and prove that I am God <laughs> thanks very much for listening I will speak to you on the next one of these goodbye I think you'll find 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 while I'm coming back to this podcast before it uh, signs off sometime later to just do a couple of additions to save you writing or tweeting in uh, uh, this is the section we called I think you'll find where something I've mused about and not come up with an answer to has been answered uh, by fair means or foul uh, and this is definitely fair because Peter Ware deputy editor of Doctor Who magazine who is a patron so he gets these podcasts before you do if you're listening to this and you're not a patron well yeah you won't be because the, the patrons have actually not had this bit that's interesting unless they then listen to it when it comes it doesn't matter uh because uh so, so that actually means you've got something that, that the people that pay for these podcasts haven't got that seems wrong i'm gonna have to address that anyway um peter says one did you know that for to doomsday i said i didn't even know what the title meant for to doomsday is so called because that was the position the doomsday clock was at in 1982 and peter says we're currently at 100 seconds to midnight yikes so isn't that interesting for to doomsday is so called because it's the position of the doomsday clock in 1982 great title thanks terence dudley uh, no way I could have discerned that. Well, I didn't. I mean, I haven't for how many ever many years it is. Forty years until Peter listened to this and told me. So he's told me I've learned something I didn't know, and I hope some of you had. If you were all throwing things at your radio or your headphones or whatever you listen to on, going is that that was what the title means, you idiot? Um, then perhaps I should retire, and you can all do the podcast for me. Um, and. I was musing about where the Chinese extras came from and said I, I, I was pretty certain they'd come from a local Chinese restaurant or I'd read that at the time. Um, Peter says, it's likely that Chinese, Chinese extras in the story were recruited via Peggy Sir's Oriental Casting Agency, which also engaged me, that's Peter, to appear in the Madonna film Shanghai Surprise in the mid-1980s. Because Peter, uh, well, his great-auntie Bai uh, was in Marco Polo. Uh, and his great-uncle Fred, Frederick, Bai's husband, was in the Talons of Weng Chiang. Uh, and, uh, uh, and they, uh, but, but Peter says, the Chinese extras in Fort Doomsday, it's entirely possible that Peggy Sir's agency did cast them all from the same restaurant so it was peggy sir who uh who you went to if you wanted authenticity in your as I, to use the to use the phraseology de, de jour and to use the title of the casting agency if you wanted oriental casting in your production and peggy sir is actually herself uh an extra in marco polo but that's a story for another day so there you are clearing up a few things that may have had you um, either unsatisfied because I 
I didn't reach a proper conclusion or left it hanging, or throwing things at the speaker going, hang on, Toby, I know that. Well, I'm just showing you that I know that now too. Thanks to Peter Ware. What a gentleman. Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest was James Goss, who could be found on Twitter at GossJam. I'm grateful to James and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, Paul Greaves, Peter Burns, James Curry-Smith, Peter Harness, Ronald Hayden, Rob Leonard, Christopher Meredith, Gavin McLean, Richard Straw, Neil Tate, Nick Tedston, David Trainier, Tim Arding, David, Nigel Bromley, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, Richard Chalk, Grant Davidson, John Deere, Chris Johnford-Kelk, Paul Dunn, Jason Gorman, Sibon Galichon, Chris Hyam, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Philip Marsh, Nathan Martin, Roland Moore, Kevin Murdoch, Graham Knott, Adam Parker, Barry Platt, Risto, Matty Sarillo, and Frank Shales. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like your name to be one of those lovely names read out at the end, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Having your name read out is just one of the things that you get for bestowing uh, some of your hard-earned money in the direction of my Patreon page, where you also get bonus releases, extra material, monthly AMAs, bits from my archive, and photos of my dog. Patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Or you can do the Kofi model, which is kofi.com forward slash Toby Hado. I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. These podcasts are at at Haydoke Podcasts. I'm on Instagram at Toby.Haydoke. And you can find me on Facebook too. Those two music clues were very closely placed together. Um, they were cut and pasted from the original um, sort of layout of episode four as I'd done it. And I didn't find I'd given myself much to say at all. Maybe maybe I decided I'd said way too much. I'd give myself much longer to say things like, come to the Patreon and if you can't give these things a five-star review, please give them a five-star review. Reviews have stalled. If you haven't re reviewed this and rated it, couple of lines review and five stars on iTunes, Spotify, blah, 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 all of those really do help to polish the algorithms. That's what I would have said in the middle. See, those short music cues didn't work, did they? Because I've just put them afterwards in the bit that's usually a bit of bonus me meandering but I, that I don't know why I do. Um, I think it originally started, it was just like, you know, one line. I'd just say something apposite and pithy and off I'd pop. You know, it's just a nice little, you know, like the Marvel films, just a nice little little bit at the end not like the marvel films where it's like you know bits of a film shot professionally by a major film director with p proper posh actors in it but you know the principle is the same just a little little bit of toodle pip in entertainment form or not even entertainment but you know what i mean but um they've become this which is a sort of um uh, you know um off the off the cuff mental meander given voice um, to the satisfaction, I suspect, of nobody. Anyway, what did what I did notice when I was putting this omnibus together, because um, yeah, what I could do, you see, is just cut and paste 
the post credit stuff from episode four, but I, I make it special for the people that have listened to the omnibus that they don't get the same. So, of course, if you're a completist, I'm sure there's not a completist out there. But if you were, so say there was an archive of my oeuvre, people would go, well, I've, you've got to have the original four episodes and the omnibus because the omnibus actually has a different post credit stuff has different credits actually i re-record the opening and the closing credits i don't know why it would be easier not to i would not be now up at 26 minutes past midnight when i've got loads of things to do tomorrow doing this so uh, why am i even complaining i'm complaining i'm not complaining to you you don't make me do it this is my fault anyway the thing that i've noticed is as this podcast clocks in at two hours and 20 minutes almost so i don't think you need anything else but, um, of course, James Goss, since this was recorded um, and, you know, since he sent in his submission, which was much earlier than that because it's obviously a bit of a delay, um, he has written a thing called Doomsday, which is coming out as I record this, is coming out right now, featuring uh, an old uh, colleague of mine, not an old, um, a current colleague of mine, somebody from the comedy circuit with whom I worked during lockdown on my stand-up shows online and on Dick Dixon in the 22nd century, uh, 21st century. I don't even know what it's called when I directed it. The lovely Dick Dixon uh, thing that I did with Johnny Morris and Kieran Hodgson. Suze was in that and brilliant she is too because she's a brilliant voice performer. Um, is is called Doomsday, written by James Goss, starring Suze Kempner. Uh, and uh, that's all sort of happened since since James recorded his bit there and now it's out there and it's called Doomsday and it's one of the lead-ins to a new series of Doctor Who uh, you know supervised overseen written by and executive produced and show run by Russell T Davis we're the brand new Doctor and B Bonnie Langford's come back and uh, am, am I actually awake at uh, 27 minutes past midnight or is, is, is everything just a strange dream very exciting though isn't it anyway uh that was that this is me i'm gonna have to get, keep doing that because that's all i could think of really uh and yeah how exciting but yes go and check out james's doomsday that's exciting <laughs>